You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers Podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. If you enjoy this lecture, please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate. John Paul II was a poet and playwright. In a letter he wrote as a young man, he said, I send you greetings in the name of beauty, which is the profile of God, the cause of Christ and the cause of Poland. This was a letter to a theater director, Kolarczyk, in 1941. Beauty, a profile of God. What a striking idea gripped young Carol Wotiwa. Later writing a letter to artists, John Paul II compared the man of prayer with the life of the artist because, quote, the starting point is always a gift from above. If artistic creation has need of inspiration, the journey of the spirit has need of grace. End of quote. And he says the dialogue with grace involves the ethical level, which touches all of our lives, but it's also expressed in artistic talent. Why is this so? John Paul II said, because God lets himself be glimpsed in your spirit through the fascination of beauty and your longing for it. He said, without a doubt, the artist has a special relationship to beauty. Beauty is the vocation bestowed on him by the Creator. That's from his letter to artists. He practiced as a man of the theater to write plays, direct them, and participate in them. And he said, if the artist can perceive a ray of beauty among many manifestations, art becomes a way to God and spurs the artist to combine his creative talent with his commitment to a life of greater conformity to the divine law. He sees in the heart of the artist and the creative arts a restlessness which makes one want to overcome mediocrity and start a new life generously open to the love of God and others. As Pope John Paul II loved to speak about the work of Bernini as expressive of the Mater Ecclesia, depicted in the solemn entrance of the colonnade, in which he says the majestic arms are always motherly arms reaching out to all humanity. Welcome into them, every member of the church can feel heartened on his pilgrim journey to our homeland. Thus, John Paul II would think about the splendor of the heavenly Jerusalem, which we yearn as the pilgrim people of God. In that letter to artists, he said, he feels closely linked to the artist by experiences reaching far back in time, which have indelibly marked my life, end of quote. He reached very far back, over 60 years, when in Nazi-occupied Poland, Karol Wotiwa joined a group of actors who met in basements and kitchens to rehearse long passages from Polish literature. Thus was born the Rhapsodic Theater. In his memoir, the founder, Mieczysław Kokolecki, wrote, We held rehearsals in the dark kitchen of our catacombs sometimes by candlelight when the power was turned off. These romantic rehearsals deepened our Polish consciousness 
our resolution to survive and reach the shores of freedom faithful to our ideal of theater. During the war years, this rhapsodic theater group produced 10 original shows, 22 performances, and met for over 100 rehearsals or evening workshops in clandestine conditions. Wotiwa was one of four people selected by Kalarchik to be a core actor for the ensemble. After the war, three of the four actors went on to a career on the stage. God had other plans for Carol Wotiwa. After participating in the group for a year, he entered the seminary, another organization forced underground to evade Nazi oppression. Yet in his new vocation, the political, artistic, and spiritual ideals of the rhapsodic theater, the love of Polish literature, the love of beauty continued to resonate deeply in the soul of Wotiwa. Hence that letter, Greetings in the name of beauty, a profile of God, the cause of Christ and the cause of Poland. Obviously, the cause of Christ predominated in his vocation, but it was always linked to the cause of Poland, as we have heard, and to the cause of beauty, which I wish to explain now. Polish culture had that connection between art and faith in a lived way. Thus, when John Paul was ordained a priest on November 1, 1946, and went on to Rome to write a dissertation on John of the Cross, he continued to study the theme of beauty. And when he returned to Poland and was a parish priest, he would put plays on for his parish, have the kids produce plays. He administered a baptism to the daughter of one of the four core actors. And as I mentioned, he staged these mini-dramas for parishioners. When time permitted, he attended the theater and wrote reviews under a pseudonym. Twice the rhapsodic theater was threatened by closure by the communist authorities, and Wotiwa rose to his de its defense. He even continued to write plays as Bishop of Krakow, completing his last effort in 1964, The Radiation of Fatherhood. His penultimate play was called The Jeweler Shop, a beautiful play written in 1960 and performed in 1961. It is subtitled, A Meditation on the Sacrament of Matrimony, Passing on Occasion into Drama. It shows the close connection between art and faith. It's a meditation born of his own humanity and experience, his friendships and his priesthood. And my friend Frank Zamet observed, Carroll first turned to the theater as his outlet for his gifts. He lacked the self-aggrandizing qualities often associated with actors. He was a sober, studious boy's boy. His classmates pointed out how often he stands to the side in photos of school excursions or class pictures. Carroll stood aside in almost every picture he somewhere somewhat remote, a bit aside from us, one of his classmates said. Nevertheless, his patriotic passions were perfectly suited 
to a particular kind of Polish theater, this rhapsodic theater. And this is what he took with him into his papacy. He became, you could say, an actor on the world stage. He used those skills. He learned about the living word, a performance which emphasized language, simplicity of sets, and reciting of long passage, passages to take in its full meaning. I think that's how we have to read John Paul II sometimes, is to meditate on the words, to linger on each sentence, even read them out loud. They contain such meaning. And they, they are written in a way, again, without ornament, without fancy theological flourish, but they are very profound. So John Paul II often would continue to use the symbolic gestures and metaphors that he learned as an actor. But he also brought with him these intense discussions about Polish language and culture. You know, he majored in language when he first went to study at the university, the Jagiellonian, before he decided on his vocation to the seminary, and before that university was closed by the Nazis. And John Paul II then would read textbooks on metaphysics in the stone factory. But Carroll was always kept informed of who among his friends and neighbors were sent to Auschwitz. He was very connected. He knew among his Jewish friends who had been herded into the ghetto and who among both groups had been sum summarily executed. He wrote a letter in which he said, Now life is waiting in line for bread and scavenging for sugar, dreaming of coal and books. And when Poland collapsed, he said, the ideas that should surround the dignity of the nation we must recall and continue to live for. This is his commitment to art. Again, it is the lived experience, not just that of a dandy or one who just dabbled in the arts, but it was a lived experience. Frank Zamet points out the Nazis waged systematic culture comp for a war on culture by closing libraries and shutting cultural institutions to the Polish people. Only Germans could attend plays or concerts. A Pole could be shot for going to the theater or even speaking Polish in the wrong place. And the significance of language, of words, of culture, were precious to the Polish people throughout their whole history, but particularly during war and particularly during this time of oppression. By focusing on Polish words and texts, they were risking their life, but providing manna for people starved for the sound of their own language. This mission he takes as Pope in his preaching and in his teaching the manna of language. And as a young man, John Paul II saw the theater would be a church where the national spirit will burn. Ultimately, as a priest, bishop, and pope, 
the two institutions would be reversed. The church would be the theater, if you will, for those Polish concerns for freedom, beauty, truth. And if we fast forward those 40 years from the jeweler shop to his letter to artist in 1999, we see he didn't write a treatise on beauty or art, but a letter to artist. He always favored recognition of the concrete existent and acknowledgement of the unity of the person. This too is a theme in Redemptor Hominus. The artist himself is the connection between art and faith, and his philosophy of the person. John Paul II was concerned about the person, a philosophy called personalism we'll mention in a later lesson. The person has a power or dynamism of the soul which seeks God and yearns for God through the transcendence of the person in the creative act and in the philosophical act. The power of the soul can be diverted from its end, but even worse is the suppression of its vitality. That's what the Nazis and communists attempted, and that's why he was worried about the West that another kind of humanism marked by absence of God in opposition to God has gradually asserted itself. The very reason for his letter to artists was born of his hope for a more constructive partnership and for a rediscovery of the depths of the spiritual and religious dimension which has been typical of art in its noblest form in every age, he says in this letter. It's, it's really unnatural to separate religion from art. Not that art must serve explicit religious purposes, but that the resonance between the love of beauty, the open of, openness of the soul to transcendence, is vital. Beauty is a transcendent value. The complex connection is more like this, that art and beauty, I'm sorry, art and faith are analogously connected in an essential way through the participation of the artist in the divine art proclaimed at the opening of our creed that God is the creator of all that is seen and unseen. And art and religion are connected in their ends, the contemplation of beauty. That first connection is suppressed or severed through secularism and scientism, which John Paul talks about in Redemptor Hominus. That's the crisis of our time, is secularism and scientism cutting us off from the beautiful, the true, which is a profile of God. A connection flows from the side of faith, but that faith can be called into doubt. So the second point, the live connection, obscure to many artists, but should be discovered through self-reflection and through the self-determination of the artist in the creative act, is that the artist in his or her love of beauty is showing a respect for God and creation and opens the soul to what is greater than itself. The artist, in a special way, images the divine being. 
Or we could also say that as made in the image of God, all human beings are in some way artists or artisans. That's the theme of his third encyclical on work, that we are co-creators with God in work. Art for the ancients referred just to the capacity for making. All are artisans in the sense that we have the capacity to work creatively, to make something beautiful for God. It more specifically can refer to the creative work of the fine artist. But the deepest capacity is shared by all human beings and all share in the call to work and the mandate to cultivate the earth. The fine art, the fine art simply intensify and perfect the habit of making. John Paul II goes back and forth between these two meanings. And that's important to see that subjective capacity of each person to respond to God in the beauty of the world and the call to make things, to cultivate the earth. He says, now none sense it more deeply than artists as creators of beauty. Something of the pathos which God at the dawn of creation looked upon the work of his own hands. This is the opening of his letter to artists. A glimmer of that feeling shows, shines through your eyes when you're captivated by the hidden power of sounds and words, colors and shapes, and you have admired the work of your inspiration, sensing in it some echo of the mystery of creation with which God, the sole creator of things, has wished in some way to associate with you. End of quote from the letter to artist, a very rich text from the pen of an artist and an author written to other artists and authors, but as I said, open to all human beings to appreciate the work of the artist in the beauty, but also our capacity for work, which is a co-creation. As the artist feels a sense of pride and love for the beauty that he has made, we see the presence of beauty as a hidden power embedded in or shining from the materiality of the cultural artifact, sounds in music, words in poetry, color in art, shape in art and sculpture. John Paul II wrote poetry. As a pope, he wrote poetry, the triptych on the Sistine Chapel. He's always wondering and expressing that admiration for the beautiful. So, John Paul II as a poet, John Paul II as a playwright, is a significant factor in understanding his writing. And then when we look at Redemptor Hominus, I think we'll understand as he turns to see the secret spring of human creativity and love. We see the mutual reinforcement, you see, that art, philosophy, religion, all give to each other because they are forms of transcendence. God is the exemplar of creativity and artistic work. 
So he says, the human craftsman mirrors the image of God as creator. In a footnote, John Paul II notes the Polish language clearly shows the link between creator and craftsman. The meaning is obviously analogical. God creates out of nothing and bestows being itself. This is the true meaning or the strict sense of to create. But the human artist, including every craftsman, every human being who works to create something new for the benefit of others and for the beautiful, uses something that already exists to which he gives form and meaning. So, by this analysis of fine arts, John Paul II is appealing to the artist, but it's to appeal to all human beings, because the capacity for creativity is a property of human nature as such, according to Genesis. And it's part of our redemption as human beings that that creativity is restored to us, the creativity of love, the creativity of working for God's glory. God created the human being the noblest fruit of his design, he said, and subjected the visible world as a vast field in which human inventiveness might assert itself. God called man into existence, committing him to the craftsman's task. Another quote from the letter to the artist. The work befits the craftsman. John Paul II often would go to the book of Genesis for theology of the body, to explain the basis of anthropology, to explain work, because this integral vision of human beings must become aware of the beginning, how it was in the beginning. The theology of the body and his theology of work make such an appeal to Genesis. Marriage and family, work and art are discovered in the beginning as essential features of the human being. Well, art too is then an essential property for the rational animal as a form of practical reason or making. It's a special way that human beings reflect the divine being. And that's one of the signs of our times, he will say in Redemptor Hominus, looking back to Gaudium et Spes, is this interest in human freedom and creativity. But here man appears more than ever in the image of God. Human creativity, artistry, is a participation in the divine power. He quotes Nicholas of Cusa, who says it's a communication and share in the divine power. Thus, if one becomes more conscious of the gift, the artist would see and any worker would see that gratitude is more appropriate than pride in the admiration for the work of one's own hands. One should give thanks, he says, and raise to God a hymn of praise. That will take us to the participation in the very priestly office of Christ, which again he will outline in Redemptor Hominus. So throughout his pontificate, he was devoted to the dialogue of the artist with the church, rooted in the essence of both religious experience and artistic creativity.
Jacques Maritain, a great Thomist philosopher who influenced John Paul II, finds an apt passage from St. Thomas in his Summa Against the Gentiles to explain why art is a predicate of God. This is from Thomas Aquinas, quote, of things that come to have being from God, the proper plan of them all is in the divine understanding. But the plan of a thing to be made in the mind of the maker is art. Hence the philosopher Aristotle says that art is the right notion of things to be made. There is therefore properly art in God, and therefore it is said that wisdom, artificer of all, taught me. Wisdom 721. The end of quote from Thomas Aquinas. Like any other perfection found in this world, such as the good or the true, justice or love, the presence of its more or less or better and best would indicate the presence of the absolute along the lines of the fourth way to God in Thomas Aquinas's five ways. Upon such recognition of the higher art, the vocation and the mission of the artist, and again, any craftsman becomes a religious one in the sense of participating in the divine gift and consciously making a hymn of praise. The whole world can be sanctified and consecrated to God through the Eucharist if we bring with it our work and suffering. John Paul II reminds us that the Holy Spirit is the mysterious artist of the universe the source of creative inspiration. That's the starting point of every true work of art. The spirit stirs up the creative power of the genius and provides an inner illumination, bringing together what's good and beautiful. And he says it's analogously like a moment of grace. So the artist, the fine artist in particular, should experience the absolute who is utterly beyond. Even if this connection seems severed for many artists in the modern world, it could be because there is a lax, uh, I'm sorry, a lack of reflexivity or reflection on the part of the artist concerning the roots of inspiration and the process of creativity. So John Paul II wants to bring together creator and creature. That's what Redemptor Hominus is all about. Not about art, but the bringing together of creator and creature for the restoration of the creature in the image of God. As I said, that return of the creativity, particularly of love and everyday life, but also that openness to life in the family, the openness to beauty in art, the openness to justice in our political order. This is why when John Paul II says beauty is the profile of God, we could also add truth is the profile of God, justice is the profile of God. And in Christ we see precisely the beauty, the truth, the justice of God. And we discover our vocation in this love, for what is beautiful, true, and just.
One of his favorite Polish poets, Cyprian Norvid, said, Beauty is to enthuse us for work, and work will raise us up. Thus the artist and all craftsmen, all of us must serve the common good. But the artist can have a special role to play to enrich the cultural heritage of a nation and humanity and contribute to the life and renewal of the people. That is that lesson he learned in Poland, that culture is key, that Christian culture must be renewed at its source, which means renewed at the cross and renewed at Pentecost through participating in the love of Christ for others and being open to that direction of the Holy Spirit to appreciate the beauty of God. And John Paul II said, the vocation of the artist is a quest to achieve an embodiment of beauty, to create and give form to a fleeting vision of beauty. It involves a search for the hidden meaning of things, a torment to succeed in expressing the world of the ineffable. So he goes back and forth here, as I am doing, between fine art, the special commitment and vocation to beauty, and all human beings who participate in culture and are called in some way to work for the common good. But it's that search for the beautiful that he thinks is being lost in the modern world that we have no time for the beautiful, as we have no time for love, because we're caught up in utilitarian pursuits, the pursuit of money or power. Beauty is a transcendental, as Thomas Aquinas teaches, which involves something beyond utility. The beautiful has integrity, proportion, and radiance. Those are what we learn from Thomas Aquinas. That takes time. It takes a contemplative attitude. Again, that's where the roots of religion, philosophy, and art flow from the same source in the soul, in its yearning for God. So with the artist, he says, every genuine artistic intuition goes beyond what the senses perceive, reach beneath reality's surface, and strive to interpret its hidden mystery. He sees in intuition something from the depths of the human soul where there's a desire to give meaning to one's life, as again we find in philosophy and religion. The artist turns to put that fleeting vision of beauty into a concrete expression but always sees the unbridgeable gap between the work of their hands, however successful, and the dazzling perfection of the beauty glimpsed in the ardor of the creative moment. Just as the philosopher understands that his philosophy of God falls short, and we know God is unknown, there should be a humility, a desire to turn to what is higher, than what our art expresses, 
He says, art is but a glimmer of the splendor which flares up for a moment. And as I said, the parallel with philosophy. Philosophers should be humble in realizing the limits of their reason. We can prove the existence of God, the immortality of the soul. Some of the features are um, attributes of God. But as Thomas Aquinas said at the end of his life, in some ways it's all straw compared to what is given in prayer. The artist, above all, should appreciate the world as an intelligible mystery, where mystery predominates. John Paul II is always, as I said, an admirer of the mystery of existence, the mystery of the world, the mystery of beauty, the mystery of the human person. In the Gospel of Life, one of his last encyclicals, he said, the number one thing to combat the culture of death is to be contemplatives, to appreciate the beauty of God in the world and the beauty of God revealed in Christ. So here he's not giving us a metaphysics of beauty so much as an appeal to the experience of the artist and in a way an appeal to the experience of every human being who has awoken to the wonder of the world the challenges of creativity, to see that unbridgeable gap where mystery predominates. And it's the mystery that generates artistic, it, it generates the artistic impulse, but it also becomes the medium between art and faith. Insofar as it seeks the beautiful, he says, and a fruit of an imagination which rises above the everyday, art is by its nature an appeal to mystery. The opening to mystery is an opening to God, or at least an appreciation of mystery prepares the soul for the mystery of faith. Joseph Pieper, in his book Leisure, the Basis of Culture, again, mentions this connection of art with religion and philosophy. John Paul II, to return to his letter, says, if the intimate reality of things is always beyond the powers of human perception, how much more so is God in the depths of his unfathomable mystery? See, John Paul II is not only a poet, he's a mystic. He sees that mystic side of art and poetry, and takes it in up into prayer, and is worried that modern culture will trample on our capacity for wonder. So we need the artist. That's why he celebrates the artist and concludes his letter to artist with an invocation of Dostoevsky, that beauty will save the world. Beauty will stir them to wonder. And faced with the sacredness of life and of the human person, wonder is the only appropriate attitude. The culture of life should thrive on wonder. That's its deepest root. So John Paul II loves to quote 
Norvid, beauty will enthuse us, and he links Norvid and Dostoevsky because he says, quote, beauty is a key to the mystery and a call to transcendence, end of quote. Beauty serves this way because it ranges beyond what is given and it's a call. Beauty is an invitation to savor life and the dream of the future, he says. So yes, there is a sign of hope in art and all the activity of the artist if they are sincerely seeking the beautiful and to embody in the beautiful in their work. And this is our preface to the Redeemer of man, that the way of the church is the way of man. That's what John Paul II will say in Redemptor Hominess. The way of the church is the way of man. Man the artist, man in politics, man in family. Because the very denials of transcendence made by modern ideologies can have the opposite effect. Rather than suppress the hunger and longing, they should stir up the hunger and longing for God. In Redemptor Hominus, we'll come to look at this passage in more detail. He says, the spirit is the answer to the materialisms of our age. For it is these materialisms that give birth to so many forms of insatiability in the human heart. He says, we belong to a spiritual fatherland and yet we're thrown down among the mud and weeds through our sin and through our loss of respect for God's creation. Our spiritual homeland is in the church, he says. So just as Augustine needed Platonism to break through materialism and surge on towards God, John Paul II sees in art a way to surmount the strictures of our culture, the materialism of our day. Again, when we go to Redemptor Hominus, section 18, he quotes Augustine, Our heart is restless until it rests in you. And thus John Paul II will turn to the human person in Redemptor Hominus and talk about a creative restlessness that beats and pulsates with what is most deeply human. The search for truth, the insatiable need for the good, the hunger for freedom, nostalgia for the beautiful, and the voice of conscience. The idea of the power of the soul as a dynamism, as a pulsating, or a knocking, is developed in the acting person, one of his philosophical works. Beginning with concrete experience, man acts, John Paul II could also and will begin with concrete experience and redemptor hominess. And man creates is one of those starting points for appreciating the dignity of man as well as his need for a redeemer. It is a theocentric humanism, an integral humanism, that John Paul II is teaching us in redemptor hominess, that the power of the person is actively oriented towards a transcendent goal in every moral act 
in any creative act. There's what he will call a horizontal transcendence, for example, through the craft of the artist, which is oriented to the object to be made. Just listening to Bach, his Takata and Fugue, you could understand this complete absorption into the work made. But in addition to the horizontal transcendence, John Paul II sees the vertical transcendence in all these activities of the human person, in the poetic inspiration, in the philosophical wonder and philosophical dialectic, in the political concern for the just, and in all the ways that human beings are called forth, we realize that this world will not satisfy us. He quotes Augustine in section 16 of Redemptor Hominus, Late have I loved you. Well, the artist is one who loves the craft and the work, but John Paul is interested in the love of God's order. Peter Brown, in his book on Augustine, says that St. Augustine would cry out in his sermons, Give me a lover, he will know what I mean. He is stirred by the hidden nostalgia for God. Peter Brown, in speaking of Augustine, says that the soul is an abyss and the welling up of desire and the descent of love was as crucial as, crucial as rational decision. Romans 5.5, 5, the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. This is what John Paul II sees possible in the modern world and why he is not giving in to despair. As long as we will knock, seek, and search, our Lord has promised to us that it will be given to us, that we will find that the door will be open. And so the pulsating power that encounters the beautiful will lead us up to God if one allows the love of beauty to take hold. And this is why. This letter to artists is a place I wanted to begin as a preface for the Redemptor Hummings, and we will see its influence when we actually read the text. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers. Please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate to help us keep this content free.